to Offshore Explorer with Scott Dodgson. I'm Scott Dodgson, your host and general storyteller. Um, been busy the last couple of weeks that we've been off. I've had a couple of uh, um, emails and some requests and trying to figure out, you know, what the heck I was doing and where I was going. I actually haven't left my desk. I have been here working like you cannot believe. Um, I'm working on a, a new book called The American Mariner, which is going to be a companion book to a television show that we are producing um, for PBS. Uh, it's very exciting. Uh, once we get through all this COVID stuff and we figure out the uh, sponsorship money, the PBS has a little bit different um, investment structure. And once we get the big companies kind of over the, over the hump, um, within the next, uh, with before Christmas, I think we, we should have it all solved. But in any case, I've been working on this book and, um, writing a book proposal is a very difficult, uh, writing task. And it's a little bit like telling a story, but it's like a sales story. And so I did a separate, um, sample chapter of, uh, Los Angeles Harbor. And I have done a podcast before on Los Angeles Harbor, which I, I ask you to, uh, to take a listen if you haven't listened to it. But I may have to revisit it because in my research, I have developed, I've discovered so much stuff that it is just, it's absolutely amazing. And uh, this, is a, this is a really important, uh, it's an important time and uh, it's a very interesting it'll be a good interesting book and a good interesting uh, television show I hope I am also pleased to announce that um, I will be taking some of the stories um, that I have done on the podcast and I have written them um, and I'll be uh, publishing those stories uh, through a publisher. I don't have the final um, okay from the publisher yet, but uh, they have become fans of the podcast, and I'm pretty excited to be able to uh, get those stories out and uh, maybe, you know, distribute the book a little bit, uh, a little bit more than than the podcast even. But to, to say the least, I've been very busy with two books, but. I also have been following up on some of the requests that I get. Um, if you go to offshoreexplore.org, you will find, um, you know, you could send me a message um, through there and I'll get that message. It's, it's a great way to communicate. So if you have questions or you just want to find something out, um, you know, about something I said, or if I said something wrong and you want to just say, you know, hey, dude, you're off base here. Um, I'm really happy to hear that because uh, I think it's important to try to keep the integrity somewhat going so this doesn't turn into some sort of sailor's yarn as opposed to a real uh, story. So I got this one interesting uh, request 
um, from some fans that have been listening for quite a while, uh, Yakum and Layla. And they're, they're on the sailing yacht, um, Karios. I hope I'm saying that right, Karios, uh, K-A-I-R-O-S. So they, they sent me a note asking about um, sailing uh, from the Caribbean to New York uh, during hurricane season. Um, they're in Curacao, and they wondered if I had any kind of advice. Well, let's be very clear that at the height of hurricane season in the Caribbean, it is really important to try to stay put, especially if you're in Curacao. I mean, order another drink, let a month slide by, you'll be in great shape. But sometimes we have to make moves. Sometimes the boat has to get from point A to point B. We have to get it back to our our dock, you know, and it could be in Maryland or New York or it could be in Amsterdam or London. It doesn't matter. But, you know, sometimes we just have to make that move. And it seems on the surface to be somewhat of an imprudent move. So I'm going to try to, that's the first part. Don't move. Okay. But if you have to move, I have had mixed results. I have, um, I have found that sailing in the Caribbean in August, September, October, um, to actually be quite pleasant I've gotten run over by a few uh, storms here and there, but for the most part, I've found it to be quite pleasant. And in fact, sometimes there's almost very little wind. And one of the things you'll notice when you're on any of the Caribbean islands, you're always, of course, on, on the leeward side. And when the wind dies down, because there's usually a solid 15-knot wind coming from the south-southeast, and it just, you know, it keeps moving along... And you find that the um, mosquitoes come down. They, they usually reside a few hundred feet above in the islands, a few hundred feet above the water. And, and then they just sort of come down and they start getting into your boat. And I don't think I've ever had any worse nightmares than being on a boat in August with no mosquito netting and those little buggers just flying around. I mean... I don't know what my record is for killing mosquitoes, but it's got to be like 30 or 40 in a night. I mean, my cabin was just bloody, you know, splotches everywhere. It looks like somebody came in with a paintbrush and just, you know, dabbed a little bit of mosquito blood all over the, all over the, the ceiling and, and the walls. And it was, and I was bit and it, it's a terrible thing. That's why that great... F- 15 knot breeze keeps them off your boat. So August is mosquito month, um, which is also another reason why you may want to keep moving. But there's a couple of strategies that I employ or have employed uh, when it comes to, 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 to sailing during unstable weather. Now, I'm going to tell you a quick story and why the podcast is named Tinker Toys. Um, Some of you may or may not be uh, familiar with Tinker Toys. Tinker Toys are these uh, wooden circles and they have holes around them and um, and you put sticks in them and you can you can build them. They were kind of like you know you had Lincoln Logs, you had Tinker Toys and and you know then Legos came. 
but these were like the original like you could actually make tinker toys in your in your wood shop at home and um you know they're they're round and they have these blue sticks and these red sticks and the sticks are different length um lengths and and it's kind of a you know it's it's just for kids to play with and you know being a kid that was brought up in the uh, the you know before things were like that kid can swallow that pe- that stick you know we were sucking the green off of the sticks for example i i remember that distinctly and um but anyway i had some kids on a boat many many years ago and i was i was young i think i was you know maybe i was in my 20s and um, this old gnarly sailor named Joe, um, super nice guy. Um, he had grandchildren and the grandchildren had left the Tinker Toys on the boat. And they were basically like every kid. Um, they were everywhere. Um, so he was picking them up and I was helping them. And, um, we were going sailing and a bunch of, a bunch of other things like that. And, and so we started to talk about weather and we started, but we first started to talk about racing weather, like how to race. And what he did is he would take these little, the round tinker toys and he'd say, okay, so here's your course. All right. And let's say it's a triangular course. Okay. And he would go and say, this, this circle is going to represent the wind and the green sticks are going to represent the direction of the wind, okay? And the red sticks are going to be um, your course off of the wind, okay? So um, he, he would put these around. It was a great way to visualize um, weather, especially when you're racing, because a lot of times you'll have, like, puffs. And today, of course, I watch the America's Cup and and all that. These guys have like the most sophisticated um, computer systems, barometers. They can they can they can see just a you know just a, a tiny little deviation in uh, pressure in in water temperature, um, and and this all affects on on how strong the wind is and. And if it's going to change the direction of the wind, if the wind is going to pick up, where the wind is coming from, you know, what's the source of the wind? Is it coming off of land, which is hotter than the water, which is colder? And all of these things. So they have, there's all these great programs. And they're very cool. I mean, I think they're very, very cool. But in fact, one of the neat things is, is with the Tinker Toy set, is I got to visualize what it's like to see a puff of wind. For example, to see a puff of wind, you, you could see the ripples in the waves, you could see the change of color, the darkness, and it could be just a slow-moving puff, a little tiny zephyr. But when you're racing in low uh, wind speeds, that's what you're looking for, that you want to grab that. Now, so that I had this idea of, of these Tinker Toys and this, that, and the thing, and I thought it was really great. And it helped me visualize everything. And I hope it helps you visualize a little bit about what I'm trying to do. Then the second thing is, um, I sort of applied the Tinker Toy theory of visualization of weather um, into uh, ocean racing. 
And instead of uh, being a Tinker Toy that represented a puff of air or it represented a low or high pressure system, and then the other round Tinker Toy connectors would represent the spin-offs of those um, of, of those low pressure units because it a low pressure, especially like a low pressure like hurricane, is 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 not a uniform uh, piece of weather. Um, there's lots of things going on inside it. There's lots of eddies. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's going into it. It's held together in general, very large piece of stuff, right? Of weather, of speed, of bar- barometric pressure, of water temperature is held, okay? But there's a lot of little things that are going in that are spinning off because of the rate of spin. And these little eddies will go out, okay? It's just like while you get a gust of wind, that's a little eddy, all right? And then that gust of wind goes away. It's just a little eddy. That's just what it is, okay? So the reason I'm, I'm, I'm saying this is because if you're going to sail from, say, Curacao to, to New York um, during this time of the year with hurricanes, you have to do, first of all, you have to make your decision process has to be early, early, early in the process of sailing. People get in trouble because they don't decide what the heck they're going to do. And I'm not perfect. I have had the stuff kicked out of me um, because I waited too long or because I thought, oh, that Hurricane Hurricane Bertha, for example. I was in St. Kitts. Hurricane Bertha wasn't even supposed to be a hurricane. It was a tropical storm. You can ride out a tropical storm. No big deal. Okay? A little wind, a little that. 12 hours, 18 hours, it's gone, unless it stalls. And then it's just rain and wind. You can sit on the hook all day, watch TV, you know, have a drink, whatever the case may be, you're cool. But then when the speeds get up, the hurricane, then the boat starts rocking a little bit more and the swell starts getting bigger and and, and it can become quite uncomfortable. And I was slow to make the decision that I should just leave there uh, St. Kitts, and just head south, okay? And, and and this this decision, I just said, oh, no, that's all right. This will pass. It's going to pass north of, uh, it's going to pass north of St. Bart's and St. Martin, and it's just, it's going to kind of meander its way. Maybe it'll reach um, the Bahamas, maybe not. Maybe it'll just float out there in that nowhere land, and you know I'll be better better off for it, but no the 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 hurricane decided to change direction. So my decision of not leaving and repositioning myself was shot. It was a bad decision because the hurricane came down and just roared right over me. And a lot I've told this story before in other podcasts, but that was just a the source of of stupidity on my part and. Kind of knowing I could write it out, but it's also overconfidence, okay? The main thing is, is you have to make your decision early. So if you're leaving from Curacao, you're going to have, you're probably going to go head up to Hispaniola, probably go up the Mona Passage to get to Florida, and then work the coast up from there to, to New York, which is actually the best way to go. 
you're going to have like crossing the Caribbean to Hispaniola and all the rest of that stuff should be during hurricane season relatively safe, although hurricanes do happen in the Western Med. And their tendency is to head towards uh, Mexico, but sometimes they turn and they will run up and hit like New Orleans and they will hit the west coast of Florida when they turn in. Um, I don't know. I can't tell you. I don't think there's any real science or facts to the frequency of these hurricanes versus the frequency of the hurricanes that come from Africa. Um, I would say that it's probably more the African um, hurricanes that have a tendency to get bigger and um, there's a more frequency of them. Because um, off of the Cape Verdes, that's where they sort of, that's like a that's like a nursery for hurricanes. And I've been in Cape Verde, which is absolutely a place to die. It's just an amazing place to live. And it's beautiful weather. And um, it's great sailing. Lots of little islands, lots of places to go unique culture culture from all over the place and it's just like you're in you you could be on a different planet that's how that's how good it is that's definitely um doesn't show up on people's bucket lists but it showed up it shows up on my bucket list i but i've done it so that's a check mark for me but i'm just saying you know it's a cool place but it's also a place where the hot air from the sahara desert comes over hits the water they start storms the little storms turn out to be big storms. So there's a little bit more frequency. But that distance between carousel, and you can pretty much see if there's any low pressure that is developing mostly in Colombia, um, because they do get quite a bit of rain and they get a lot of these squalls rushing out of the jungle and hitting the water, and that's how they end up getting uh, sourced into hurricanes. So you keep your eye on that, and if it looks clear, and it's it's one of those places that it's it's not predictable, but you could see if something's going to happen. Then make your run. And when I say make your run, I mean you have to plan along the way where you can bail. You have to plan on your way uh, where you could hide, because storm hurricanes are too big. Um, they're traveling, what, 15, 20 knots. Um, you know, that's their forward speed. Um, and your boat is going to go how many knots? Um, it's not going 15 to 20 knots if it's a sailboat. Maybe a big sailboat, you could get that out of it, or a catamaran. But And, and I know a lot of people with catamarans that, you know, whenever they see a hurricane coming, they're gone. They can outrun it. They just, you know, set sails and go 15 knots. You know, I'll be back in about three or four days. Bye. And they just go south. They get as far away, find a safe zone on the map and go to it. And then when the hurricane passes, they just turn around and come back and they're back. But if you have a monohull, you're just not going to outrun a hurricane. Nor are you going to outrun the breadth of a hurricane. Because these, these suckers cover hundreds of miles, okay? And you've got a lot of swell. Um, it's going to slow your boat down depending um, in which direction you're going to go. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Uh, 
But the strategy is important. So if you can bounce out of carousel, have a clear weather picture, which in case you might, you've got, you've got the Western Caribbean hurricanes, which in carousel would be, you know, off to your port side. And then you have the, the African Cape Verde hurricanes, which would be on your starboard side. And they're, they're both going to be coming at you the further north you get. So you have to make sure that you find that weather picture with those Tinker Toys and put it on your map and say, okay, here, it's here, this one's here, this one's here. Here's this one's direction, here's this one's direction. Okay, so you can visualize it. And then boom, boom, boom. And then you take off and try to get up there. But the strategy is, is to find a place that you can hide. A hurricane hole, for example. And I'm, I'm going to get to a little bit more of that. But that's the strategy. You find a place to hide in case they both come on you um, fast and you get just nailed. Okay? Because the closer you get to the Florida coast and the American coast, um, you'll have more spots to hide. But you don't want to be hiding. This gets back to the early decision process making. If, if you see that you're three days out of being run over by a hurricane, get someplace and hide. Don't wait till the day before to say, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go up to New Bern in North Carolina, and we're going to go into the marina, and we're going to leave the boat there. That, it's not going to work because sometimes the swells and waves that precede a big storm can make getting into a marina almost impossible. So you have to consider that kind of um, a scenario. So this is, this is important. So the first thing is, is make sure you find the weather picture, um, you know, where it is, how fast it's traveling. It's like 15, 20 knots. How fast is your boat? You know, probably seven or eight, nine knots, if that. Um, and, and, and chart it out so you can see exactly where it is. Now, Going up the East Coast, you have another very important weather system that's happening on the East Coast. And that is the high and low pressures that are racing across the uh, breadbasket of America and hitting up in the Northeast. Okay. Now, these will create and have created, as we all know, the great North Nor'easter, um, which is, a, is, is kind of an uh, anomaly. But it's a really shitty experience to be up there from what I know. I've never, I've never been there because prudence, by the way, is the captain's best friend. It's better to be safe than say, oh, yeah, we're going to go battle the waves. That's bullshit, okay? You want to preserve life first and then preserve your equipment. And that means prudence. If it takes longer, it takes longer. I spent, to give you an example... I spent uh, two weeks in Santa Barbara waiting to go around uh, Point Conception in California. And if, for those who don't know Point Conception, Point Conception is roughly the area between Central California and Southern California. So Central California is more like Mediterranean weather. It's a little rainier, it's cooler, warmer, it's nice, it's drier, it's dry. But Southern California is desert. Okay, so it creates a stationary front there. And that stationary front is just like, 
if you catch it at a bad time, it is not uncommon to see 50, 60, 70 knot winds blowing all day and all night. And there's just no way to get around it. And that was, as I've been doing some of my research, and I know this as a fact because I've battled with Point Conception for many years now, is that uh, most of Southern California was slow to develop because sailors couldn't really sail there. Current was against them. Wind was against them. Point Conception was against them. It's just ugly. Plain, ugly, ugly, ugly. Which brings me to other ugly pieces of water. Probably at the top of my list is the Bay of Biscay. Now, for those who don't know, the Bay of Biscay is that little bay, big bay actually, between France and Spain on the Atlantic coast. It is a place where many, many ships have wrecked. In the winter, they don't even they don't put ships in there at all. Even the big container ships and stuff do not go in that area. Um, it is the ugliest piece of weather. They build up such wind in there, and it's shallow. Um, per se, it's like, you know, 1,700 meters um, average depth across the, the Bay of Biscay. And it just, it creates this wind that goes from all across the south of France in that little area along the edge of the Pyrenees, which is the Pyrenees of the mountains that are between um, Spain and France. And some are in Spain, some are in France. And they race across, and then they shoot out. It's like a frickin' tunnel, okay? And they come out into the Bay of Lyon. And the Bay of Lyon is my second piece of shit water. And I have, I've had my butt kicked more times on regular sunny days. Regular sunny days. I've been out in the Bay of Biscay in a powerboat, in a, in a San Lorenzo 120, on my way to um, to Spain, and I've had to turn that thing around because the waves and everything were just too much for me to deal with. That's a lot. That's I couldn't even go slow. I mean, the, we actually dislodged the refrigerator in the galley and all the plates. It was insane. I was I was surfing at twenty knots down these you know thirty foot waves. It was, this is ugly, 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 ugly. And I should shout out to, to um, you know, the, the, what is it, the Cook, um, Cook the Cook uh, Inlet, is it called the Cook Inlet? It's between, in, in New Zealand, between the two islands, the North and South Island. That little piece of water to go between them is, again, that's another notoriously uh, crazy piece of water to sail in. Um, there's Western Australia. Um, there's some of the water out there is just, that's also quite insane. Um, even rougher than say going down to uh, around Drake's passage. Um, some of the stuff is just, these are just ugly pieces of water. And it's best to know where these ugly pieces of water, because you don't want to get caught if you have to go across an ugly piece of water with a hurricane coming on top of you or some sort of depression, low pressure, storm, you know, kicking up across that stuff. Because then it gets exponentially crazy. In the Caribbean, an ugly piece of water would be the Mona Passage. 
the Mona Passage is uh, between Florida and Hispaniola with Cuba a little further south. That's an area that you want to make sure you go through with perfect weather conditions. It's not a long, it's not wide, and you won't be going for our friends in um, traveling to New York. So you're, you're going to go across it, but you're not going to go the long way. You're going to be going with the Gulf Stream. Now, sailing up the Gulf Stream is, is uh, another interesting sailing piece of water. Because being in the Gulf Stream, you get the river flow, so to speak. And it, it will rush you up, and it's, it can be really fine sailing. But it also could be very lumpy and um, uncomfortable um, sitting in the boat. Um, you'll be running with the current. Um, the wind probably at this point um, will make sense. Um, it's going to be probably off the land. And um, you should be uh, motoring along pretty good. Not motoring, but you should have enough wind to sail along that the coast um, um, with the current and, and keep yourself up in that five, six, seven knot range. Um, it's also important to plot your strategy, as I said. You know, figure out where you're going to go, where you can hide. Keep your eye on those tinker toys and keep plotting those as you keep going up until you get all the way up to New York. Um, you know, the worst case scenario is you have to put in and take some of the, um, the, the waterway up, but it'll be okay. I, I like sailing on the outside, to be honest. I think it's faster. Um, uh, I just, you know, it's just like, let's, let's go. I love the idea of being out in the open water because it's, it sort of speaks to, speaks to me in the sense of being self-reliant. Um, it, you know, I get to commune with, with nature, um, to be out there and, and to, to enjoy what the ocean has to give and, and experience. And, and it's sort of, as I've often said and written about this sort of, um, metaphysical experience of being on the ocean and the movement and the wind and the currents and the sun and the moon, and the stars, and I sound like a pop radio song, but you know it is that whole envelopment of of ocean sailing, blue water sailing, that is really really key to me, and so that would be kind of a plotted course, um, but I guess another thing is is to kind of go back and go back over what I'm going to say. Um, first of all, don't, you can't outrun a hurricane. Take that out of your mind. Even if you have a cat, if you're on the wrong side of a hurricane and the wrong side is, if you, if you take, uh, in the Northern hemisphere, if you look at a clock, okay. And the clock is the 12 hour clock or 24 hour clock is a, um, definite hurricane, um, the strength of wind will be on from 6 to 12. Um, and the reason is because it's going to be traveling from east to west. So the winds have the added uh, 
speed of not only the the wind, but also has the added speed of that extra 15, 20 knots of going forward. The best place to be, um, if you, there is a best place to be, would be somewhere in the neighborhood uh, between three and six, so that you would be on the backside where the winds would be uh, dissipating and moving away from you. So the object is, is to look at a hurricane like a clock or like a tinker toy. And if you take a tinker toy and you just put the biggest uh, sticks in the side and the smallest ones, you know, like I just described on the clock, and then you could see that, that the, the power of the hurricane is, is in the direction that it's traveling. That's the key. And it's, it's, it just, you have to understand that because you're going to be looking to, you've got to try the best you can to try to piece, put your boat in that piece of water that's going to be safer for you. Because you don't want to have to take this stuff on the nose. My first um, truly Caribbean experience with hurricanes was Hurricane Andrew. Um, I don't know if many of you know Hurricane Andrew. Um, and if you do know Hurricane Andrew, you know it destroyed Miami. It destroyed uh, the Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico. It was it was just a killer. Um, and it just went up the coast of the United States. It was Category 5 plus. And it was a monster storm. And I ended up um, taking a boat... And hiding out in Viecas in Puerto Rico, which is this little bay that's kind of surrounded. It's a good hurricane hole, and um, we, you know, we we tucked it all up into the trees and we sat there. I literally saw during that hurricane a mast, full mast, become dislodged from a boat with all its rigging, just ripped right out of the boat. And was going across all these boats that were anchored out there like a sickle, like on a lawnmower that, you know, the lawnmower blades, just slicing masts in half and never even slowed down until it just lost its rhythm and it tripped and fell in the water. And then it still got picked up and sort of tumbled along. And this is a mast. So there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens. And one of the craziest things was, which I thought was as, as crazy as life can be, is that the um, Coast Guard was sending out Maydays because they, they actually got washed up. Their little boat, boat yeah, their little cruiser, ended up um, uh, on the hard. You got literally the, the, I don't know what they were doing. I'm going to do a thing on the Coast Guard. And, and I know the people who love the Coast Guard, and, and I certainly love what, the, what they do. Um, but they, in a lot of cases, they're not particularly well-trained um, when you get down, down the rung, so to speak. Some parts of it are very good. Other parts, uh, their interdiction stuff is a joke, I think. I've always had... Um, I've never had good things happen around the Coast Guard. Um, but anyway, that's a, that's a story for another time. Um, 
So the important thing is, is let's take two elements here. First of all, you're out at sea, you get caught. Um, the hurricane, you, you, let's say you make an early decision. Um, let's say your boat is, you can go 200 miles in a 24-hour period. Um, you decide that um, you're going to take off, let's say you're in St. Martin or St. Thomas or any of the British Virgin Islands, anywhere up there, and you said, okay, I'm going to hit it on south. So in 24 hours, you make 200 miles south, and you're just heading like, let's say Columbia or Curacao or Bonaire, okay, or Aruba, any of those, the ABCs. You're going to head down there because there's no hurricanes down there right now. And you're, you're booking, but you only make 200 miles a day in a 24-hour period. But you made an early decision, so you got, let's say, you know, the hurricane is going to get there for three days. So you, let's say you get 600 miles. Well, if you take the breadth of a hurricane, and that hurricane could be four to 500 miles wide, okay, 200 miles at least, okay, if it makes a quick jog and turn down and it wants to go underneath the Virgin Islands, in that part of the Windward Islands, because the water is warmer there. You're suddenly, that 600 miles you thought you were putting between you and the hurricane has now been down, is now down to 100, 200 miles, and you've got the storm on your back. But you're still better off than having it run over you. So this is important. And the other important thing is, is you have to watch where's the water the warmest. If you, if you look at the water temperature across the Caribbean, it's, it is fairly even, um, but there are places where it's exceptionally warmer. I mean, the Bahamas get hit with hurricanes all the time because the water is, is hot there. It's warm. And hurricanes love warm water because that's where they get their energy. They're like, you know, ravenous dogs when it comes to that. And they'll suck that energy up and build up strength like in hours and they can go from a tropical storm to a cat one to a cat two, you know, within a 24 hour period. And if you're going to sit there and say, ah, yeah, I'll let that baby pass me. It's just a tropical storm. Been there, done that. And the next thing you know, the, the water temperature is up about 86 or whatever it is today. And boom, there you are. You're done. You got a cat two on top of it. You're sitting at a single hook. So running with the storm, and a couple of quick advice things on running with storms. If you know the storm is coming, prepare your boat, top and bottom. Okay, let's just talk about what you do on your deck. You got stuff on your deck, get it off your deck. There's no reason to have anything on your deck. It just creates windage, and that's a really important thing. If you have a big bimini, okay, take it down. Strip your boat on top, okay? I know a lot of people, um, you know, be able to prepare having, um, uh, you know, all your sails tucked away. If you if you have um, reefs, you might want to put them in before it gets too bad. Okay, that's not a bad thing. Okay, um, barbecue grills. Okay, surprisingly, having those sit on the back of a boat. Um, effect, they get affected, but it tosses and turns. It makes it worse, okay? If you have 
uh, jerry cans along the side of your um, stanchions. Yeah, that's another one of those things. Get rid of that stuff. If you have a dinghy, okay, put the dinghy in the water. Okay, don't put it up on the deck of the boat. Put it in the water. All right, and use a painter that floats some kind of neoprene line or whatever the case may be. Um, don't use chain. Don't use wire. Take the engine out of it. Put the engine. Um, you can put that on the deck or you can put that, you know, in a locker if you can. Or even put it downstairs. In the, I've put mine downstairs in the salon just to get it out of the way. I knew if I needed it, I would have grabbed it and, and the fuel tank and would have been in the dinghy in a heartbeat if the boat started to sink. But at least the dinghy is in the water, and that is one airborne son of a gun. So that's how you prepare your boat. So you're going to go pretty bare while you're running from hurricane. And that is, that's the advice on running from it or sailing to it or from it. You have to be, you know, if you think you're going to, if you feel you're getting picked up, Wind-wise, you know, reef, get it down. That stuff, the storms change, change the water, change the waves really tough. Another thing that occurs to me as I'm talking about this is, is that when the hurricane passes you, you're going to have this residual swell, and it will be steep. Um, it is, it's always steep. And, and one of the things, depending on the kind of boat that you have um, and how the hull is configured and where the prop comes out, you may be exposing your prop on the swell to a little bit of air or a little bit of shallow water because, you know, the, the swell goes up and you go up and, and, and then the motor, is the propeller is, expo is exposed and your diesel engine runs real high RPMs because there's there's no um, resistance to it. So it goes, and then it digs in, it goes, digs in. All right. Um, very important. Don't try to overdo it. Just you don't go fast. When you get into that kind of situation, keep the motor down at idle. Play with the throttle. Move it back and forth. It's work. It's got to be done. But don't blow your engine and don't just screw the hell out of your prop as far as that's concerned. So this is something you, you, you can get. And it's good to keep the motor running in the sense that you could keep a good direction. Because if the wind is, if you're running with the wind, it gives you just that little bit more sense of control. And if you're running um, with the wind, say, on your beam, or if it's, you know, just slightly abaft a beam, you know, it gives you that control because the swells that come with this are that are like a roller coaster kind of thing. So you're dipping, rolling, you're rising, then you dip and you roll and you rise. And it's this kind of movement that makes everybody sick. Um, but it... it it, it can be mitigated slightly by always going with whatever the sea is doing. And this is another thing, another note of advice. Um, make sure you have enough sea room and just go with the flow, all right? It's always better to take these hurricanes on the stern than try to, you know, stay on your course and go straight for it. If I was going from Curacao 
All right, and I was going up, and a hurricane sort of forced me to make a change of my direction. Um, go with it. Don't fight it, okay? Don't don't fight it. Just go with it, all right? What's the worst that can happen? You'll be 60 to 100 miles off course. That's the, Is that the worst? Then you just remake the course again. Don't get so locked into your course that this is it. This is, I got to go here and it's, I'm going to go bow to these waves and I'm going to go up and I'm going to, no, find a comfortable place where the boat is comfortable, where you're going to be comfortable. Remember, this storm's only going, the hurricane is only, it's, it's, it's going to be over in, in 18 hours or 20 hours. All right. So if you end up having to hunker down, and um, you're going to be in some sort of great um, hurricane hole. St. John, by the way, has my but the best hurricane hole. Vieques is a good hurricane hole. There's plenty of little hurricane-protected areas along the U.S. coast, if you're that way. But even, in, I just want to give a quick perspective, especially to some of the sailors that that follow me that are in Europe and Australia and New Zealand. Um, we talk a lot about the Caribbean, okay? And the Caribbean is a, big, is a big place, much like the Mediterranean is a big place. Um, but one of the things, if you're in the um, British Virgin Islands, the Leeward Islands, the Windward Islands, as they call them, uh, that distance from the Windward Islands to, say, New York is about 1,200 nautical miles. And the distance from the Windward Islands to Miami is about 1,200 miles. And the distance from Miami to New York is in the 1,200-mile range. So you've got this, this is a triangle. It's not the Bermuda Triangle, but it is a triangle. So don't get confused. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting... Um, sense of, of distance that you have, okay? Um, I would always prefer to stay on the Caribbean side uh, rather than the Atlantic Ocean side if there's a hurricane. But if I'm going to find a place, um, there's a couple of places along. I mean, there's a few places that are some very uncomfortable uh, shores in Hispaniola. Um, um, Haiti, there's it's not a lot of good anchorages in Haiti. There's some. Um, but you have to understand that what is protected during normal times, uh, from the, from the ocean, uh, will be wide open when the hurricane goes by because everything's going to be reversed. So you have to keep that in mind. So let's say that you find a place and you're going to hunker down. And one of the things you've stripped everything off your boat and you're starting to look at all your you're starting to look at all your ground tackle, you know, and what the, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? One of the things that I've always done, and I, I think is, is good advice, and I've even done it on big maggot yachts, is I try not to put too much pressure with the anchor chain or the anchor onto the windlass. So I used to make, I made a bridle, um, you know, just, just out of some heavy, heavy um, uh, line and like one inch line, and I would put a, a, a galvanized uh, hook 
that I could just slip around the, um, uh, the, the anchor chain. And then I would make it so that one part of the bridle would come up and go on to the deck cleat on the port side, and the other would go on the deck cleat to the starboard side. And then once those were attached, I would, I would ease off with the windlass um, so that there was no pressure on the windlass at the center of the boat. I found this to be a very useful and safe uh, way to deal with a lot of different types of emergencies. And let me explain a little bit more in detail why I think the bridle is important. First of all, your windlass, although pretty secure on your deck, is still not as secure as those deck cleats. Okay, the deck cleats are near the 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 edges of the hull, um, and it's really thick and it's it's very strong right there. Um, the the windlass will sit out in the middle. It uses a square or rectangle to be in the deck, um, but it's rarely uh, reinforced up underneath. It's just usually deck. It seems real solid, and it is solid. Don't get me wrong. It can may not ever break. I mean, that's it's that strong. I mean, I would have confidence that it wouldn't break. But I like the idea of having a bridle because it just takes the pressure off. I don't want to screw up my windlass. The other part of having a bridle is that as I, um, if I'm in a sort of an emergency situation, let's say, and I've had this happen to me before, where I had to drop my anchor, I did not have time to go in a hurricane and pick up my anchor. I, I, I was by myself. I was in a hurricane. Um, I didn't have a remote switch to operate the windlass. There was no way I was going to go to the, to the boat and stand on the little button, lift the anchor without ending up on the shore in the surf. So I, the, what I did is I put the engine into gear. I judged my engine gear just enough so that I would be making forward speed, even though I was having six, seven foot waves coming at me and the wind was blowing, uh, probably at that point about 75 miles an hour. And I was just up and down and, you know, scooping up big chunks of water. So I went to the foredeck and I had taken the chain the anchor chain off of the windlass. I had disconnected it previously inside the uh, anchor locker. And so all I did was I just let go the um, bridle and I walked back and the chain just went right to the bottom. And I was back at the boat before the boat could go in any direction, accelerating, getting up over the waves and getting, I was very like, Literally, I was on the shoulder of the surf, of the waves. I was like another six feet, I would have been barrel rolling. That's how close it was. So that time that it took me to go from, from the bow back to the helm um, was very key. And if I had to just try to pick up the anchor, because when you're under that kind of pressure and the anchor's going to cut loose. It's not going to keep digging in. It's just going to like break loose and you're going to have, you know, 75 foot of chain out there and you're going to be trying to get that up and your windlass is going to be working like a son of a gun. 
and you're just going to float back into the island or into the surf or wherever that case may be. It's always the lee shore that gets you. So that's why, that's another reason why I like the bridle. And I also like the bridle because it sort of gives you a sense of professionalism. And um, just sitting out there on a single hook, you know, is, is not. Now, if you don't have a, like a little galvanized, little bit, you know, chunky galvanized hook, um, I would uh, recommend using a uh, rolling fisherman's knot. And um, that's very easy to do. Um, you just bend over off the bow, put on your rolling fisherman's hook, and then just bring the line back up into your cleat. You could use a single line. You don't need to use a double line for a bridle. Um, you'll sit just fine as far as that's concerned. Bring it in through the hauser and round. And that, that will relieve the pressure. Trust me, a lot. Now, a lot of people, when they're anchoring... Uh, during a hurricane or a storm, a uh, lot of different theories. Um, and one of the most interesting theories is a very, very good friend of mine and his, and his girlfriend, Paul and, and Suzanne. Um, they had a Beneteau 50. Um, they very experienced sailors. And we were in Guadalupe uh, waiting, uh, waiting out a... Um, a hurricane. It was like a Cat 1 or Cat 2. I don't remember the name of it. But we were waiting out the hurricane. So Paul, he puts out a, an anchor. He puts out two anchors off his bow. Then he turns around and he puts, he's working like a dog, and he puts a stern anchor out. And then he put another anchor um uh, off his midships, and he had like all these anchors all the way around. I think he had six anchors out. And so his boat wasn't going to move. And it seemed to me very prudent. And at the time before the storm hit and I was watching him do it, I was feeling actually quite guilty because what I did was just put out one anchor. And I drove that anchor when I backed off, when I backed off the anchor, backed it up, I drove that anchor as deep into the good, solid, sandy bottom as I could, right off of Guadalupe, right in Guadalupe. And um, that was like the thing. I was doing that. And he we, had, we were talking about it. We were in our dinghies going back and forth talking, you know, well, I don't know, this is kind of... So we had a, we had a point of dis, disagreement about how one should anchor in that. The storm came. It was, it's, it really hit us in the morning, and this was great because you can actually see what's going on in the morning. And I do this. When I know that the hurricane is really, you know, kicking up and doing its thing, I stay downstairs. I don't go upstairs. I have all my windows, you know, op not open, but the, the curtains pulled aside so I could see what's going on. And I have the engine on, just idling. Sometimes it's in gear, sometimes it's not. I'll go up, I'll put it in gear. If I think I'm dragging anchor a little bit, or if I need, if I think something's going on, I'll just, I'll just, I'll have it right there. I will, I will use the engine to assist the holding of the anchor, if necessary. But most of the time, I just have the engine on, just letting it, you know, just, just let it run. Um, 
and and this way this I I'm I'm ready to go. I don't have to go up, turn the key, start the engine, you know, do this, do that, do this. You know, the engine's on. It makes me feel better to do that. So Paul is is his boat is is in front of my boat by I don't know about two hundred yards maybe, and um, we're facing the open opening into um, the open sea, and and out there are some con- not container ships but like these uh, small island cargo ships. And they're not, they're like 120 feet, 130 feet, something like that, cargo ships. And they're anchored out in sort of an industrial anchorage. And um, the storm starts really kicking up. And one of those island cargo ships cuts loose. And I can see it coming right at us, sideways. I don't think there was anybody on the boat, to be honest. He was coming sideways. And I get on the radio and I say, Paul, there is a contain. Look at this ship. It's coming right at us. And I mean, it's hard to see. He's in a Beneteau, so he doesn't have like the windows that I did on my, my CT. And he pops up out of the hatch and he's looking and he thought he was nice and snug in there. Then he sees this ship bearing down on him, and much to his credit and skill, he just he starts you know getting rid of the. It was going to come on his port side, and so you know he dropped the port side anchor. He he loosened up the the bow that went out to the port side. And then the, the stern anchor, he just let out a little bit. And he tried to maneuver his boat with all these anchors and stuff over so that he wouldn't get run over by this cargo ship that was sideways going through the harbor. I just, I was on one hook. So I just put it in gear and turned and I just, I just rode out the, the length, uh, the circumference, made a circle out and that, that that ship just went over literally over both of us and paul was so lucky that the stern okay of the ship scratched his tow rail as it went by and hit his spreader okay on the um railing on the top of of the ship Okay, this is a Beneteau 50, so you can imagine how high it was. And it kind of pushed him out of the way, all right? I mean, had it been three feet the other way, that boat would have just run over his ass. And he got out, they got out, of. they, they were safe, and it went right past, and it, it just zoomed past me, right? And, and then I just sort of let the boat find its own way back onto the, it was still on the hook, I didn't take it up, but just let it slide back in with the wind, and that big cargo ship just ran up against the dock and hit it. It exploded. It hit some power lines. They exploded. I mean, it was like the 4th of July over there. So these are the two things that you have to deal with. And the other thing to remember, too, about when you, when you put your hook out is that get your mind 
set. You're on the water. You're not a tow truck. You're not on land. You're not trying to yank a tree out by its roots. There's pressure on the anchor. There's not as much pressure as you might think. And because it's coming, it's going. You're floating. It comes, it pulls, it comes back. Pulls, it comes back. So that whole pulling thing is what's going on. And if you get a good hold with a good anchor, like I'm a big fan of the Bruce anchor. Um, CQR's um, great if you're really in kind of in, in mud or grass. Um, but even the Bruce does okay in mud, mud and grass. I never had a problem with that. But anyway, that's how that's the main thing about doing that, anchoring out like that. It's just a little tiny story I wanted to tell you. So the main thing about today's Tinker Toy Stories is make decisions early. Make good decisions either leaving and getting out of the way, preparing your boat top and downstairs. And by the way, downstairs is really important. If... If you have a girlfriend or a wife who likes to put little knickknacks around and all the rest of the stuff, and it's okay when you're just sailing on a regular day, get rid of that stuff. Anything kind of glass, get rid of that. And I tell you this because I have been stupid enough not to um, pay attention to that. I had a case of Coca-Cola bottles that um, I had in my salon, and I had them secure. But the bottles literally came out of the case and broke um, during a really violent tropical storm. And um, I had glass. And, of course, on the Caribbean, nobody wears shoes, you know, on their boat, mostly sandals. So that's kind of kind of stupid of me. But I tell you these lessons that I've learned so you don't have to repeat them. Um, and that's the way that is. So... That's my little story on um, Tinker Toys. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, we're going to have some new stuff come out. Uh, I'll be back uh, next week. And um, I hope you all don't have to deal with hurricanes. And to my friends down in Curacao, um, good luck to you. Um, be cautious. Um, remember, your life is more important than being someplace um, on time. Thank you. And, uh, music was by, uh, um, Paulette McWilliams and, um, we love her of course. And please go to offshoreexplorer.org. Um, send me a message. It's like this cool little message thing you could send me there. Um, and also take a look at some of the other, um, uh, episodes that we've had. Um, this is episode 69, so that's pretty cool. All right. Thank you and uh, safe sailing and fair winds.